You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. So what's funny is when I've told people that we'll be covering South Pacific, I would say that the general response that I get from them is likened unto a child who's been told that they need to go visit their great-grandma's house. Oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I actually do. That feeling of, oh, but it it smells weird, (laughs) and she has really strange (laughs) rules. Like, do we have to? My great-grandma, she lived through the Depression and everything and had very strict rules about toilet paper to the point where she would unroll the entire roll of toilet paper and take a marker and mark every three squares so that you knew you could only rip off three squares at a time. That does not sound fun. And if she went in and there had been, you know, <laughs> a breach right, a breach of <laughs> trust in the toilet paper, there, there were problems. I also remember in the basement, there were these really old bottles of ketchup in her like food storage that had turned black. They they were no longer red. And I'm pretty sure my aunt and uncle or something were like, hey, grandma, maybe it's, you know, time to throw out these ketchup She's bottles. Like, oh, they're fine. Exactly. And it's I, fine. It's a little tangier. It's good. <laughs> and I wonder if that's how a lot of people feel about South Pacific. Like, is it a black ketchup bottle at this point <laughs> that we should just throw away and not have anymore? So it's funny that you would say that it's like a visit to your great-grandmother's because... That's a little bit what my response to it was when I got asked to do it. I mean, just sort of way underneath. Sure. Um, <laughs> After all the gratitude. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. But then, oh, God. And um, so I actually figured it out. And I talked to my cast about it on the first day because what I figured out was that I had seen productions of it. And first of all, I have to establish that I may be err on the side of being a slightly more immature theater goer, just in general. I find myself getting bored easily. Mm -hmm. So how I direct is based off of that tendency to get bored. In addition to that, here's what I figured out. I realized that it was a play. Yeah. And when I realized that it was a play, my whole approach and thought about it changed. Because the, in my opinion, it may be one of the most beautiful scores ever written. No doubt. But... The songs are an extension of the scenes, an extension of the characters. They are not big spectacle numbers. They are not, mm-hmm. you know, showbiz. Um, yeah, it's not that at all. And each song comes out of a moment, usually of, of intimacy. So when I started thinking of it like that, it still holds as like something that is one of the, my most favorite 
threatening experiences ever. Oh, um, I know. That's so cool. So it, it completely flipped. Well, I'm excited to talk about it. So let's get to it. Yay! Welcome, everybody, to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons. You can call me Jeff. Today, we're talking South Pacific, and my guest is Kirsten Chandler, who is a woman, friend, mother, director, actor, dog owner. What am I missing? Foodie. <laughs> Baker. Baker. What, what, what's your go-to? Because, you know, my culture, you say I love you by making cookies. I mean, that's just how it well, is. Well, you know, I understand that. Um, yeah. And I think that I I delve into many baked goods. <laughs> I would say that, you know, no my latest experiment would be with breads. Oh, which is, I know, I've, advanced. I'm actually like, I'm, like, I'm looking into yeast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the more complicated thing to do, but I'm taking it on. That's you know? exciting. But yeah, you know, cookies are... That, that's a thing for me. Yeah. Around the holidays. Nice. I'm impressed by the bread. Thank you. And like, do you have a bread maker? No. Or are you, are you, you're doing like, the... Yes, I have a bread maker. It's my oven. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, we, I should try the whole instant somehow, pot thing yeah. because that's like interesting that people throw a bunch of things in the pot and then, and then it turns it into bread. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't tried that yet. I'm kind of at the point where I have so many... I, I have too many gadgets in the kitchen. I have... Two waffle makers, one that's a Belgian waffle maker, one that's a heart-shaped waffle maker just for Valentine's Day. You know, like it's reached a point where there's too much. There's too much in that kitchen. Well, you know what? You can use them all if you have lots of people over. Fair enough. Because one takes a long time. Good point. So you can just, you know, like smack them all down and— Waffle bar at Jeff's house. Completely. (laughs) What were we talking about? South Pacific. South Pacific. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Had, have you ever played Nellie Forbush? Because I feel like that would have been a thing for you, right? That's nice of you to say. No, I never did. And b- when I was a performer, I was also a uh, somewhat less mature human being. Um, yes. <laughs> Aren't we and all? So, well, you know, but some of us had more like, you know, the things that interested me were just very, I had blinders on. So I mm. think Nellie Forbush fell outside of what I considered interesting. Mm. Which, you know, what a what a mistake. Especially now I look back on so many of those classic characters and go, why didn't I do that? Why wasn't I interested in that? But I also think we've come around to recognizing there's more to these. Absolutely. These chestnuts, these war horses, besides there's nothing like a dame. Correct. You know? Yeah. Because for the longest time, that's what I thought South Pacific was. It was yeah. just a bunch of sailors talking about women. Yes. And then... <laughs> And then you go and see it, and you're like, wait, the first 20 minutes is two people, and then all of a sudden your expectations are not met. The approach is like it's um, shtick almost, mm. and I, it's a huge mistake. There's some real stuff going on. Well, you know, one of the most interesting things is um, at the end of the show when they're shipping out, at the end of this whole long show where really they're just waiting on this island to be told the next step as Marines. In war. Yeah, and in the original, I believe— there's a, a reprise of Honey Bun, yes. and it's very sort of like jaunty and fun. Well, when when I directed it, we reexamined that moment because this is the moment they ship out. Here's an interesting thing. When we got our, our costume plot, the Marines uniforms for when they ship out were like 
Uh, one of them had a starfish on it and a netting and haha. You know, oh, it's like yeah, wow. yeah. But it, you can see how the approach was. That this wasn't an, a dire, very um, sobering moment for these men about to ship out. So we changed the music to just be very sort of stark and military in that moment so that you looked at this song that was really funny earlier in the act and it turns very solemn. The Lincoln Center version did this uh, something very similar. And I looked at it and went, oh, my God, they, did, they looked at that too and wow. said, this isn't the right feeling for this moment. So it's interesting, you know, the the I think that some companies in the past maybe especially have approached it more, I guess, you know, musical comedy, you yeah, know, exactly. rather than real stuff going on and like a play. Where but don't you think we, we're kind of guilty of doing that with most Rodgers and Hammerstein? And, maybe. And this is the first Rodgers and Hammerstein, the first R&H musical that we're covering on the podcast. Oh, cool. Which is fun. Oh, I'm honored um, we're not to gonna, be part of it. <laughs> we're not going to do the deep dive into their history because we'll probably save that for Oklahoma. Got it. But, That's um, good because I won't – I'll mess up. I'll say something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but – it, but it's true. We kind of do this to all of their shows where it's, oh, it's fluff. It's R&H, you know? Right. And by the time they come together as a composing team, they've been in this business a long time. Yes. Richard Rodgers with Lorenz Hart and Oscar Hammerstein the second with Jerome Kern and, you know, countless others. They're at the point where they're not needing to prove anything to anyone. Right. In fact, they want to take over musical theater and reign as giants of Broadway. And they do. As well they should. As well, right? But there's nothing accidental about what they create. Yeah. And somehow we think of it as fluffy. That was not the intention behind these artists. Correct. And, you know, especially South Pacific's themes dealt with racism at a time when that wasn't, no one, I don't know if anyone had ever put it into a musical. It's something that he was really interested in for most of his career. When you think about working with Jerome Kern and Showboat, yes, there are, he's always kind of looking at racism, specifically the racism coming out of World War II mm-hmm. was very interesting to him. So, you know, rewinding, we're going to history. World, <laughs> War, World War II ends in like 1945. Mm-hmm. And out of it, a book is written called Stories of the South Pacific. Tales of Tales, the South Pacific. Thank you. Tales of the South Pacific by James Mishner. And it's a collection of 19 short stories. There's no actual through line through the entire book. They're just all of these short stories, right? Talking about his experiences as someone serving in the military. Correct. And it wins the Pulitzer Prize. Hollywood passes on it. But it comes across the eyes of Joshua Logan, who is a director, famous director, had worked with Rodgers and Hammerstein on Allegro which was the musical right before this. So Rodgers and Hammerstein had had a huge hit with Oklahoma, a huge hit with Carousel. Then they write Allegro, which is a huge flop. (laughs) But they really enjoyed working on it with Josh Logan. So he shows R&H this this book and says, I think that we should, you know, do something with this. They immediately go to James Mishner and are like, can we have this to use? And Mishner says, absolutely, Hollywood didn't want it. <laughs> and he wasn't even an author. He had, he had won a Pulitzer Prize, but he wasn't even a full-time author at that point. He was still an editor working at Macmillan Publishing. Crazy. Wow. So, like, no showbiz sense whatsoever with this guy. He agrees to let them musicalize it in exchange for, I think, 1% of box office That's, receipts. That is correct. 
What I think is fascinating about Oscar Hammerstein's connection with this material and specifically the the racism and prejudice found within it is that his wife, Dorothy, had a sister who was married to a Japanese-American. And he worked in New York and was interned in Ellis Island during World War II. Crazy. That is crazy. The sister-in-law and the daughter move in with the Hammersteins because her husband is interned at Ellis Island. They take the daughter to a school who's, you know, half Japanese. And the mother asks the principal, I want to make sure that my daughter will be safe here because there is obviously a lot of prejudice going on. And the school says she's going to have to pay for her antecedents. That was literally the quote. So then they put her, they take her out of that school immediately and put her into like a Quaker school because at least she'll be safe there. Yes. So this is all happening in Oscar Hammerstein's house. And so it's like fresh in his mind and it's present in the James Mishner stories. And he didn't shy away from it. In fact, there were people who in out-of-town tryouts tried to get him to remove songs like You've Got to Be Carefully Taught. And he said, well, that's... That's our play. Mm-hmm. This is the whole point exactly. of what I wrote. And so, no, um, <laughs> which is great. Short. I mean, stuck to his guns. Yeah. They didn't think it was going to be commercial or that it wouldn't play. Um, it seems like everybody was really allergic to feeling preached to, which is silly because then you've also got like the Ten Commandments and Ben-Hur and kind of all of these pieces of entertainment that actually feel very preachy to me. Somebody actually, I think one of the reviewers wrote, it felt patronizing or something yeah, like that. like you're which being is, talked down yeah, to. I'm like, yeah. really? This? <laughs> but somehow people were ready for it because it was a huge hit and it was reviewed beautifully and mm-hmm. it won the Pulitzer for play. So, yeah. yeah. I, do you know that he, Oscar Hammerstein, ended up opening the first adoption agency for international children and biracial children. It was called like Welcome Home or something like that. Wow. That's super cool. I mean, (laughs) I'm not saying he was a perfect man, but he had a pretty high set of ideals that he was putting into practice in both his work and his life. And I got to hand it to him. Like, that's pretty amazing. It is. It's pretty cool. So they they start musicalizing it. (laughs) What is funny is that (laughs) Oscar Hammerstein was really into the whole relationship between Nellie Forbush and Emil Beck. Yes. Right? So you have Nellie Forbush, who's this, you know, cockeyed optimist, uh, southern gal from America, and Emil Beck, who is a Frenchman living on this island in the South Pacific. Yes. And they meet and, and have this relationship, and Oscar Hammerstein loved writing that one. But he very up front said that he has no idea what it's like to serve in the military yes. and had no idea how to write about that. That's how that's how he came to – I mean, Joshua Logan mm-hmm. was the one who came, brought that knowledge exactly. to the table. Because he had served as well as had written – what was it, Journey's End? Is that the, the play? Yes, I think. It was like the year before he directed and helped write this play that was also about the military. And so it was a perfect fit. However, R&H being, you know, once again, Titans and Giants of Broadway, they were not going to let Joshua Logan have credit for writing it because no one was going to break up the team of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Yes. And it wasn't until much later that they allowed the book to be billed as having been written by Joshua Logan and Oscar Hammerstein. Hammerstein. Right. But he didn't get any money for it. No. 
Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that. Yeah. He only got it in billing. Wow. Those guys were But then hardcore. he directed so the he, movie, didn't he? Did he direct the movie? Now I'm going to look that okay, up. Okay, look I'm it up. I'm not sure. Maybe he got something for that. Do you like the movie? No. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, you know, there's things to appreciate about all things. Of course. Even, even not so great things, but it's it's clunky. It's super clunky. It's got a lot of interesting color. Yeah, you're right. Josh Logan directed the, the movie. Boom. Yeah, some of the color changes. It's like random. Suddenly it'll be It's like it was shot with a different camera. Yeah. I mean, it's completely odd. At the beginning of Wonderful Guy, when Mitzi Gaynor's just like staring down the lens and just singing straight to camera, and you're like, <laughs> what is happening? Is she looking into my I, soul? I kind, of, I kind of love those things. Like you can look back at some movies that experimented with things that – Either became then turned into something or didn't, very much didn't. Mm -hmm. But you can go, I appreciate that. You tried something. You went for it. That did not work. I just think that in general, you know, now making a go of it as a director and feeling like I'm improving every single time. But I'm not really interested in safe. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't interest me. And I think that that's part of what I said earlier is that maybe the productions that I saw of South Pacific were safe. Mm. They were, you know, cute. Sure. And I, I just don't think it's a cute show. Mm -hmm. There's so much more there to explore. There's so much going on. It's interesting that safe theater might be the only bad kind of theater because <laughs> theater in its inception is dangerous. Yes. It's happening live. It's different every time. So if it feels safe, then you're like, why am I even here? Right. But as a director, I just love the idea of making mistakes in trying something that might be a little different. Not different for different sake because yes. I'm greatly reverent of why something was written and I think that that's really important to take into account. You just can't I'm not going to put a certain show in post-apocalyptic times yes. just because it's new and of course now it's not new anyway so mm -hmm. P.S. You know what I mean? I, I love figuring out what was the reason this was written? What are the themes? What's the, what's the musical style? What was important here? And not necessarily just throwing it up the same way it's always been thrown up, but, right. but asking myself the questions. If I didn't know anything about this, what would I do with it? So That's great. Yeah, well, that. you know, I'm learning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in episodes past, I've talked a lot about musicals that were in trouble and then miraculously to the theater gods smiled and everything worked out. Right. In South Pacific, it seems like from the get-go, it was going to be a hit. Everyone knew it was going to it be like, a hit, and it was a hit. Yeah. End of story. Like, that doesn't happen very often, but it did in this case. Yes. In Los Angeles around this time, how do you say his name? Ezio? Ezio. Ezio? Ezio Pinza? Yeah. Um, My dad will kill me if I didn't say it right because he Was he a big? Loves, yeah. He had albums. Oh, that's yes, so cute. Yeah. So Ezio <laughs> Pinza was, uh, <laughs> was uh, contracted at the L.A. Civic Glide Opera to do some show. The show falls through. But what they were currently producing was the national tour of Annie Get Your Gun, starring one Mary Martin and produced by uh -huh. Rodgers and Hammerstein. Uh -huh. So R&H already had a, a relationship with this Civic Light Opera because they went to go see the show and, you know, talk to Mary. So then the, the guy in charge says, hey, this show just fell through for Itzio. Do you have anything that might work because we have him under contract and we need, we need something for him to do? And they said, actually, he might be perfect for Emil Beck and 
now we need an L.A. Forbush. You know what? Mary Martin, who's doing Annie Get Your Gun, she'll be swell as well. And so it all just, like, fell into place. Amazing. It was kismet. It was. But that's another show. But that's another show. <laughs> <laughs> that's a few years later. <laughs> so everybody, and everybody signs on. The thing is, is that opera stars get paid so much money because they don't work very often. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Broadway performers are doing eight shows a week. That That's not what you do in opera. It's just the material's too crazy. So he had this, he was supposed to be getting this huge amount of money. Mary Martin's a huge star, obviously, from Annie Gittrigan and, and all of her stuff before that. And she's interesting. Do you love? Do you like Mary Martin? I'm I, a big Mary Martin fan. I love Mary Martin. I I just watched just because I knew I was going to come see you. I decided to watch her again mm-hmm. um, because I hadn't seen her in a while. Yeah. Um, and it just struck me how simple and wonderful and connected she is all the time. So special. Yeah. Just you know, it's sort of like when I watch Jimmy Stewart in uh, cinema, mm. <gasps> and just think I think he was ahead of his time in his you know is. Utterly real would would be a wonderful actor right now. Yeah. Um. If you took his performance as a young man and just flipped it to 2020, absolutely holds up. And I feel the same way about Mary Martin. That that totally gave me chills. Mary Martin is the Jimmy Stewart of musical theater. There you go. It's true. I'll go with it because because their personas are undeniable. There's an element of them to whatever project they do or role they do. To the point where they changed the role to be more like them. Mm-hmm. You know, Mary Martin's Annie in Annie Get Your Gun was very different than Merman. And her Dolly in Hello, Dolly was very different than Carol Channing. But brilliant nonetheless because they're so talented and so present. and So organic and also effortless. You just effortless, like The way yes. her voice fell out of her was effortless. And mm-hmm. I'm continually in awe of that. I guess she met Oscar Hammerstein very early out here in Los Angeles. Uh, she sang... A song that he wrote, like I think it was like Indian Love Call, because at that point she was still trying to just do like coloratura stuff. Oh wow! And she said, "I'm going to sing a song you may not have heard it before," and it, and he had written it. Oh, isn't that funny? <laughs> and he he liked her. He liked her. He liked her voice. So he introduced her to Jerome Kern, and Jerome Kern said, uh, "Who was you know famous composer showboat." Jerome Kern said, uh, there are a lot of sopranos who can sing better than you in terms of the soprano world. So I think you should kind of own your voice and do your own thing. And you're going to be phenomenal. And she did. Nobody sounds like Mary Martin. Nope. Unless you're trying to do an impression of Mary Martin. Correct. I don't even know. Has there been anybody who tries to do an impression of Mary Martin? I, I remember on Forbidden Broadway they did, I'm swooping. Because she tends to slide a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Like like Julie Andrews. There's, yeah. There's a swooping quality there, too. There is. There's a little glide. But they're both awesome. They are. <laughs> Quans. Okay. So they both sign on. But once again, huge stars, huge salaries. They both decide to take a pay cut in order for the show to happen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. How great. They believed in it that much. Mary Martin brought a lot of ideas to Nellie Forbush. I guess one time with her husband, who was also her manager, she was in the shower washing her hair and she realized no one's ever washed their hair on stage before. And she ran out of like the bathroom stark naked and was like, babe, (laughs) I've got it. I've got it. What if I washed my hair on stage? And of course, she went to the phone and called them right up. And so she's the reason that every theater that produces South Pacific is has to solve that conundrum. Yep. (laughs) Thank you, Mary Martin. Thanks, Mary Martin. (laughs) She would wash her hair in the show, mm-hmm. and then 
but you didn't get out all of the soap there on stage because there's only so much water you can use. Right. So then you'd go back to the dressing room, wash it again. And, and so that's probably turns into 20 times a week. Yeah. And then she performed that's it for— overwashed head. I mean, she better have got some hot oil treatments because can you imagine the split ends over seven years? <laughs> right. Seriously. And then sidebar, um, you know, oftentimes when you produce South Pacific, as was the case when I directed it, mm-hmm. our actress had hair that would not work for that oh, right. time period. So, oh, of course. So it, she's in a wig. And then you have to wig— the shampooing. Oh, so, so you have a wigs. you have a double wig. You have of one the course. shampoo. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I know, that. and it's it's it was great. Our wig person um, was tremendous. Wow. Um, his name is Peter, um, and he just it just looked seamless. You absolutely couldn't tell that it wasn't her hair. Wow, either wig, it was fantastic. That's fantastic. But she washed a wig. Awesome. That was a very clean wig. That's a, that's a squeaky. You could eat off that wig. I have a feeling it's probably been retired. She's she's in a <laughs> she's closet done. somewhere. She's done. They they bring her out for like the the before and after in Steel Magnolias or something. Right. Yeah, maybe she'll find a a new life as Frumacera or something. You know, like something great, something crazy. But yeah. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I bef- I do want to read one quote that. You know Helen Hayes. Helen Hayes, yes. the famous actress. Had Love a, Helen Hayes. Yeah, had a candle co- shoe. Can- Did you ever see that of movie? Of course, with uh, the old Disney movie. Yes. Yeah. It's one of our family favorites. We always yank it out. I love it's those like weird old that period in Disney. Jodie Foster. Mm-hmm. Yes, and Helen Hayes. And there's like She's wonderful. There's it. like jewels, aren't there? Oh Missing yeah, there's jewels. a hidden treasure. Yeah. What more? Could I you love want? hidden treasure Disney, stores. Foster, Hayes, <laughs> treasure. Can we discuss that Jodie Foster was in both Freaky Friday and Taxi Driver in the same, same year? year? Are you kidding me? Retire. That I know. So famous Helen Hayes uh, wrote something called The Ten Most Memorable Stage Performances She Had Ever Seen. Oh. And she included, you know, Olivier as Oedipus Brando in Streetcar, Lorette Taylor in Glass Menagerie. And then she fully admitted that in this conversation, you're not supposed to bring up musical comedy, because you know, because it's not, it's not serious enough. But that she could not help herself. Quote: You cannot analyze Mary Martin's charm any more than you can analyze sunshine. Wow! But you can say that she radiates more perfection and sheer joy per cubic foot of actress than any else in recent history. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. What a great compliment. Unbelievable. And yet also very accurate, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so South Pacific, the show starts with, well, a great overture, first of all, <laughs> which, ooh, I found out something really interesting. Richard Rogers was so intent on getting the songs right that he had people help him with, you know, orchestrations and uh, underscoring. The underscoring woman was named Trudy. And she worked with him her entire career. And he was actually kind of intimidated by her and was one of the reasons why he continually worked with her. Interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is cool. I think she came onto the team because of Agnes DeMille. She played in ballet classes. And so much of what we probably think of as these scores is from Trudy. That is really interesting. So cool. I love it. But the show starts after that beautiful overture with the two cutest kids you've ever seen in your life. Yes. And they are singing Dite Moi. Now, I am not 
a French expert at all. But does, this means tell me, tell me, poor quote, why, why life is beautiful. Yeah, why why life is beautiful. Tell me why life is, life gay. is gay. Is it because you l- love me? Something like that. Um, yeah, it's like it's. It must be because you love it me. It must. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. And it's very sweet. There's something there that's kind of setting the tone. It's not just about having cute kids. They're telling us the message yes. right from the get-go. Yes, that's very true. Love is love the most important. Love will conquer all. Let's hope. And they live in this beautiful place in the South Pacific, this house kind of on a hill that overlooks yeah. the gorgeous he owns a ocean. Plantation. And by plantation, I mean I have my American views of what plantations are. What are they in the South Pacific? Do you have more islandy? Do you have? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like, do they have? Do they have servants like harvesting yes. pineapples? Like, well, is that I don't kind know of if a it goes thing? There, but he does have servants. Okay, yeah. yeah. In you're... fact, the first one makes his appearance That's right true. after Ditemoi. That is true. I I just didn't know if if it was more of like a lifestyle or an actual business where they're growing things, bamboo. I don't know. Well, he takes great pride in his plantation. He's taking her around. I would guess that he doesn't do very much of it himself, so he yeah. must have workers. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. And it's a gorgeous place. It's owned by this dude, Emil de Beck. And we don't know yet, but these two children are his. Yes. And they are mixed race. He is French, and he had been married to a Polynesian woman. And they had these two children. Did she pass away? Yes. Okay. The the, the man has lived. The man. <laughs> Suffice been, it to say. He's, he's yes. been around the block. The other, okay, <laughs> the other day I decided to watch, like sit down and watch a high school production of South Pacific oh. on YouTube. And do you know what? The kid playing Emil de Beck had a gorgeous voice. But like, I bet. But also had like the baby powder in his hair because he's, he's supposed well, to course. be middle aged. Yeah, that's the anyway, joy adorable. of high school theater. Love it so much. So he's on a date. With uh, Nellie Forbush, who's our cockeyed optimist. Yeah, cockeyed optimist. I I think it's really interesting that she begins the show describing herself as a cockeyed optimist. Yes. Because she's green. She comes from a simple life and with a a lot of sameness around her. And so nothing has really kind of bumped up to, to disrupt any of that optimism. But we immediately like her. She's fantastic. She's She's adorable. The Um, truest heart you could, you could want. Yeah. And he adores her as well. Yep. In fact, he's fully in love and is ready for her to kind of move in and play house. Like, this is it. Yeah. Because, you know, when you see someone across a crowded room, On some, ne- never let her go. You just ne- <laughs> never let her go. go. Out of this, they have these twin soliloquies. Yes. This is interesting because— I bet you know the same thing that I know about this. That the Mary Martin didn't want to sing with Itzio right. Pinza? Because, because she didn't think she could compete. Yeah, I mean, you he has, the the, he has that huge voice, yeah. right? And, she, and she's like, I'm Mary Martin, no. Yeah. We're not going <laughs> to sing together. It's an interesting thing because, now, there is a moment. It's one of the many reprises of Some Enchanted Oof. Evening because they just keep bringing that sucker back. Man, there's a lot of it's reprises like, this is our hit. show. Yeah, they do. They, they, well, of course, they had many hits. Every single song is so tremendous that mm-hmm. you cannot believe that they all were in one show. Yeah. You just can't believe it. But, um, yeah, I, I want to say that they do sing together briefly, and it's in front of the shower. I, that's, oh, but yeah, I could yeah, be yeah, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. These soliloquies are, are really beautiful, though. And, yeah. and the music is, like, swelling to this huge finale, and all they're doing is, like, sitting and enjoying a cocktail. Yep. Kind of cool. Yeah. And I think that that is when 
I had the same realization that you've had about this show, where you're like, this is a drama. This is a musical yes. drama. And you can see how the music is swelling. There's no singing. There's this one moment where all they're doing is looking at each other. And I think in the script it says they are falling in love in this moment. Mm. So if you don't approach it as a real moment between two actors, between two characters, with something happening that's as as huge and sweeping as falling in love, you can see how someone would be like, could somebody get to, there's nothing like a dame. Yeah. You know, I mean. TikTok, TikTok. Yeah. But how wonderful, like you said, that they would actually have this moment where there's, the only thing going on is falling in love, which is one of the most uh, grand emotions that we can experience here on earth. You know what I mean? For sure. It's such a neat moment. Absolutely love it. And these are things with that Rodgers and Hammerstein had been flirting with since the beginning of their career. You know, beginning a show like Oklahoma with just the old lady on the porch with instead of the showgirls that all of the other musicals had you Correct. know been doing. They've been pushing the envelope more and more in terms of what does a musical look like, sound like, and and tackle in terms of subject mm-hmm. matter. And this is this is I think probably the one where you see them owning it. Yes. Regardless of whether you think it's successful or not, probably owning it the most. Yeah. How daring to start a musical like this. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's the crux of the, you know, the two central characters, but then it, you know, to then open up to where they are and who's around them mm-hmm. is an interesting way of starting the show and, instead of the other way around. And I also think that we need to put ourselves back into 1949. And add a little context. So World War II affected everybody in this country to a profound, you know, extent. You fast forward four years. Only four years later, there's a musical about World War II Mm -hmm. coming to Broadway. Right. Written by Rodgers and Hammerstein. When has that kind of turnaround ever existed in any of our current art forms? The most that I can think of is maybe like The Hurt Locker. You know, or like a Catherine Bigelow film that's about the Afghanistan, like yeah. Zero Dark Thirty. So, something like that where people are like, wow, we're already making a movie about right. this? Right. You know, like, do we have has enough time passed? So it would have been, I think, incredibly disrespectful four years after this war to begin a show with nothing like a dame. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm wrong. We're not like, prepared for that. I think it was that's quick turnaround it is. to address the things that were going on. When we open up on the Marines and Seabees and they're with Bloody Mary, we come to find out that they really are. The whole show is they are just stationed and waiting. Waiting. The yeah, endless waiting. That's what James Mishner endless, talks about. Endless waiting, yes. Um, and so, you know, a lot of his, uh, Michener's observations came from having the time to observe mm-hmm. around him, to observe uh, the character that became Bloody Mary. He just he'd never seen anybody like her. Right. And the study of her in his writing is really fascinating. That's... But anyway, I digress. No. Now, I have not served in the military. Um, the closest that I have to a military experience is my mission for, yes. the, for the church. Because there is kind of like an army type feel. There's, you know, very strict rules. You're up at 6 a.m., da, 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 da. Yeah. And also, I was a Spanish-speaking missionary, so I was in a culture that was not mine. So I didn't know that. that That's very cool. So that whole idea of looking at, and, and it's problematic for sure, but to look at another culture and almost objectify it because it's so novel, 
you've you've never experienced people like this. You've never experienced customs like this. And you're like, this is so entertaining and interesting. And I'm vanilla and I am so used to all of my traditions. Look at all of these ones. I'm having the time of my life. Yes. And that is certainly what I'm getting, you know, from these CBs who are experiencing the Polynesian lifestyle and particularly Bloody Mary. Yes. They approached them like novelties. And then what was sad was that when it wasn't convenient anymore, they get shooed away. Yes. And it's their native land. Right. So it, it, you're seeing all of that in South Pacific. And it's – I think that the, the tone has changed as we've matured as um, socially conscious people to actually have this conversation about what was really going on here. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, yay, younger than springtime. And What's going on on the island? So then how do you show that without it becoming objectification? You know, how do you show that without showing some – Offensive stereotype. Right. You know? Well, first, you you cast well. Yeah. So that's important. Um, Casting with... With integrity. Integrity. Absolutely. Across the boards, that's important. But I guess that is a central question uh, about a show like South Pacific, which Mm -hmm. was in so many ways ahead of its time in, in wanting to deal with the issues of racism and asking tough questions of the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I wanted to just mention was that, you know, there are some people who call South Pacific that racist musical or that racist play. And I feel like that is confused a w- way of thinking. Yes, there's a racist in mm. South Pacific, um, namely Nellie, yeah. which is And probably shocking. more, probably more than her. Yes, and we but... talked about that too. Yeah, but the the I guess that I would say the most central and the glaring uh, racism comes from Nellie, and I which think, is insane to make someone as likable as your bur- leading lady. Very, very insane because you love her so much, and we spend all of the first act loving her, and then at the very end of the first act, she realizes that. He was married to a Polynesian and that his children are mixed race and mm-hmm. that they're his children and she can't handle it. And she is faced with her own racism and, and um, she doesn't like that one bit. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's really it's interesting. challenging to her optimism, her outlook that she's always, you know, professed. And I think that that is – that's she so, tries to justify it too in the yeah. second act. She's this – you don't understand. Like this, this is, is part of me and, you know, right. I think we all – run into that, especially as, like you said, as we become more socially aware and socially conscious, there are things that are a part of us we didn't even know were a part of us. They, they, we either have to come up against something that brings them up or they have to be pointed out. Yes. And we have to be humble enough to go, yeah, you're right. And to Nellie's credit, she reexamines her racism mm-hmm. and she chooses love. Mm-hmm. So she learns and how brave that we had a character a heroine, the, the, the heroine of our piece, mm-hmm. who has a flaw and then faces her flaw and then decides that she is going to grow mm-hmm. from this experience and not be that limited person. It's an, it's an arc that Anna doesn't have in King and I. Yeah. You know? That's true. Which is after South Pacific. So, like, it's a, it's a brave it's a brave piece. I, I I really like it. It's it's super brave and flawed, yes. But yes. you know, I guess it brings up that bigger question of how do we how do we go back and I don't know if you've had this experience where like even you look at a movie from twenty years ago or a TV mm-hmm. show or whenever you go, oh! like you know, yeah. because we're so much more aware now than we were twenty years ago mm-hmm. of what 
might be considered offensive or what definitely is offensive. And, and we didn't see it that way 20 years ago and how we're all awakening to a different way of thinking. There was, so, a, there was a span there for a while where I was doing productions of White Christmas every Christmas. Oh, sure. And I was playing, you know, Phil Davis, who's like the ladies' man. And, not about, you know, he's, he's always got a girl on each, you know, arm and, and flirting with everybody, sometimes inappropriately. And <laughs> in between the two Christmases, the two holiday seasons, the whole Weinstein thing happens. And I come back to White Christmas and all of a sudden I'm rehearsing this piece that I've done years. And I'm like... <laughs> every every yes. choice that I'm making, I'm like, oh, that's gross. Should I do that? Like, is that okay? You yeah. know, completely different experience, but based on all of the realizations that I had about the experiences of women and yes. and how they're specifically portrayed in yes. not only theater but just in media in general. And that brings up that point of like, how do we produce in so many ways a beautiful breakthrough piece of theater that may be flawed in places? How do we depict those moments? Do we soft pedal them? Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't pretend to know the answer. No. Um, sometimes I feel like it needs a conversation. That's yeah, for sure. yeah, absolutely. But you're also examining a time period. Mm-hmm. For example, let's just take the Seabees and Marines with Bloody Mary. That they treated her as a novelty and then shooed her aside when it when she wasn't convenient. If you look at it, that can be a growth experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know absolutely. if I'm saying it right. but No, no, I totally get that. Yeah. Oh, I definitely want to say also that on the, the date at the plantation, Emil, you know, sings Some Enchanted Evening, yes. kind of, which someone sings Some Enchanted Evening to you, you, you fall in love. Yeah, you better. Do you know that Andrew Lloyd Webber said that all he ever wanted to do in his career was write a song as good as Some Enchanted Evening? And he's still trying. <laughs> I didn't say that on a musical theater broadcast. (laughs) But I I, I think he would agree with you, though, because that's how perfect Some Enchanted Evening was to him. Yes, I agree. It may be one of the best love songs ever, ever written. I mean, my gosh. But after that, he has a confession to her. Now, this is kind of telling because he doesn't confess that he was married to a Polynesian woman. Right. He instead confesses the thing that he thought was actually going to ruin things between him and Nellie, which is that he's killed someone. Yes. And he brings it up a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she, and ha- she just wraps her brain around that. And she, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's, up, she's able to wrap her brain around that one. But he brings it up because he's afraid that— It'll she, be a deal breaker. It'll, yeah, exactly. So he doesn't even think about the children being possible possible deal breaker. Right. Good for him. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now this, of course, leads me to a little game that I want to play with you called Would You Rather. Oh, good guy. Now, um, <laughs> would you rather, which you're already married to the Stan Chandler. Yes. But if you were not, would you rather marry a murderer, someone who's convicted of murder? Okay. Marry a drug addict or marry a sex offender? Oh, Good God. It's a fun game of would you rather. I would think a drug addict. Really? That's actually, I think, my deal breaker. Sex offender isn't your deal breaker? Technically, you could pee on the side of the highway and be a sex offender. (laughs) Well, that's true. If you think about the, like, the the gradient. There is a gradient. Yes, there's a gradient. I guess I'd have to know what the crime was. Now, you know, Emil had a very good reason for killing the person exactly. that he did. So, I, you know, there's context is key. Context is very key. But if I'm just key. saying, oh, you killed somebody, 
you you offended someone sexually or you're a drug addict. I feel like, okay, so you're hurting others versus hurting yourself. Fair enough. And so if, like, the drug addict, maybe we could get them, get them to rehab. Can you imagine that conversation? I, just, I know I just sang some enchanted evening, but I have to tell you something. I'm a registered sex offender, and you're like, oh, um, I'm just putting it out there. Did you happen to pee on the side of the highway? I'm just hoping. <laughs> I'm just putting. Because I heard. I heard that that, that, that could, could be, be a, a thing. thing. <laughs> <laughs> Context clues are everything when it comes to relationships. Yes. Uh, back to South Pacific. We go to the beach, and we meet the sailors. We meet Bloody Mary, who's yes. a local. She sells... Human All sorts heads. of things, yes. Grass skirts. Uh huh. She's ca- she's heads. an entrepreneur. Let's be honest, right? She's a yeah. businesswoman. Yes. She's also being really heavily taken advantage of by the military. Yes. Yes. <laughs> does she live there or does she live on Bali High? That's my question. She lives on Bali High. Okay. So Bali High is an island across from where they are. You can just you can barely see it. It's kind of a mystical That's sort right. of place. Yes. You need a boat to get there. Particularly one of the CBs by the name of Luther Billis, mm-hmm. who's also has kind of created the side hustle of doing laundry. He's a side creating, hustler. Yeah, yeah, creating grass However he and, can make money, he's like smuggling uh, cigarettes for the, all the right. soldiers. And like, yeah, he's... And he's obsessed with getting over to Bali High. He says because there's this pig ceremony that he really wants to watch. But it's because he keeps hearing... He, he wants the... The bracelet, the, right? Yeah, the boar's head bracelet. The boar's tooth bracelet. Yeah. But also, you you realize later that it's because he hears that that like girls dance with their tops off at the ceremony, and there's like possible orgy type things mm-hmm. happening. Yes. So that's like the real reason that he yeah. wants to go. Uh, but he really wants to go to Bali High, but he can't get a boat to go over there because you have to he, be yes. a commander. Enter what's his name? Enter Lieutenant enter Cable. Lieutenant Cable, who is new to the island, and he does have clearance. Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Cable, he's a handsome fella. Usually. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting is instead of like in Oklahoma or in Carousel where you had the funny couple and the romantic couple, in this show you have two romantic couples. Yeah. You have Emil Beck and Natalie Forbush and then Leah and Cable. You have two different romances happening at the same time that True. are both very serious. Yes. So Cable has a girl from back home, Right. And sometimes they have that song, sometimes they don't. When I did the show, we did not do that number. Which one? The My Girl From My Girl From Back Home. Oh, we didn't either. Yeah. I guess it's not part of the licensing. Oh, okay. Currently. It, it was, it's in the movie and it's in it was in the revival, but oh. I didn't know if it was in it's probably not in our version. Okay. Nellie, as the nurse, has come back to her, you know, friends and has re- has decided to give up. Emile de Beck. Maybe it's just not a good idea. Things are moving too fast. There's this whole murder thing. <laughs> like, Never good. Yeah. I'm just going to wash that man right out of my hair. Cue washing your hair. I have a really funny story real fast. Okay. So I did a, <laughs> I did a benefit with Mitzi Gaynor. Oh. Right? Awesome. This was just like a few years ago. And we shared a microphone. We shared like a, a, a body mic. And she did her number, and then she would go off stage, and I would meet her over there, and she would take it off, and the sound guy would put it on me. And then after the following number, then I would go out there. Okay. So we do the dress rehearsal. She sings Wash That Man Out of My Hair. She's, like, you know, holding herself up at the piano. Just great. Mitzi Gaynor, by the way, star of the South Pacific, the film. The film, yes. 
so the night of the performance, we're doing it, and you know the boom chuck starts for Watch That Man, and she turns to the audience and goes, you all are going to love this. And she reaches behind the piano and grabs shaving cream <gasps> and puts it in her hair and starts, like, washing her hair on stage with this shaving cream. I'm off stage with the sound guy who is freaking out. Of course. She didn't tell anybody she was going to do this. She didn't tell anybody. And he's like, my microphone, my microphone. Which leads me to my question. (laughs) What do you do with sound? Does she take off the microphone? No. How do you not not get the microphone wet? Well, (laughs) it's tricky. Um, As I recall, she would lean her head back. Okay. So if her mic was, you know, positioned correctly... She could lean her head back and just let the water hit the kind you know, of the and go end. back rather yeah. than come forward. Mm-hmm. And that was key. I, I seem to recall that they were like, please don't tip forward got because it. then we've, we've got a problem. Oh, that makes sense. So it's doable, but it's tricky. It is tricky. The other thing was, P.S., getting warm water to come through the unit was oh, a challenge because – like <laughs> – Right. So she, the poor girl was like, can we can please be – Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it had to be of a certain temperature so that she didn't freeze. Oh, my heavens. Um, I know. It's a, it's a lot of challenges. Thanks, Murray Martin. Yeah, good job, Mary. Appreciate it. Do you know that Richard Rogers was really upset because they thought that this number was going to be, you know, smash, bang, home run. And when they started performing it, like, it was getting tepid applause at best. And they're like, well, how is this even possible? Like, she's washing her hair. And then someone told him... Everybody is talking during the song to decide whether or not Mary Martin's actually washing her hair. So then they added a verse of her singing the song before even getting in the shower so that people would listen to the song and then enjoy the shampooing. Yeah. Interesting stuff. (gasps) So she washes that man, but not super great because then Emile Debeck comes back and sings another reprise of Some Enchanted Evening and then she's in for realsies. Yes. I believe that's the scene where he... She says, I, I need to ask you about this. I need more details. Oh, right, right, right. And so then he gives them to her, and it certainly seems like it was a justifiable homicide. It was this, it was this bad Horrible guy who guy. came into the came village. Came into the village and was, like, bullying people and hurting people and saying, you know, and so then, he stood up to him. And then he got, they got in a fight, and... He does say that he came at him or something like mm-hmm. that, but he defends himself but actually, like, strangles him. Wow. I think he... That's crazy. Yeah. I, and he oh, and he says, I'll, and then I would do it again, I think, to Whoa. defend my— Ooh, this is good yeah. stuff. I, 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 and I, I could be South Pacific police. Don't, yeah. don't come after me. I think you're fine. Okay. The, I, think, I think I'm close to right. Like I'd have to South have this Pacific, script right in front of me. But. South, I think I remember seeing the South Pacific police in my great-grandma's basement. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Hopefully so, they're, they're busy with the ketchup. They exactly. don't need to come after no me. No worries. Okay, good. So Nellie's— She's good with it, yeah. based on that whole thing. And, and that's when she sings one of my favorites, I'm in love with a wonderful guy. Oh, so great. Yes, and which originally they called I'm in love with a wonderful murderer. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring to it. And then they thought that wasn't so mm, good. You know what? So they changed it. Better vowel. Yeah, it's, better. it's good. And now it can be sung universally. It doesn't have to be specific to that moment. Sure. Put it in your cabaret. <laughs> It'll be fine. The... You've heard the story, of course, of when Mary Martin first heard it, Richard Rodgers played on the piano, and she sang it and then fell off the piano bench. Yes, and he said, I want you to do that. that yeah, yeah, don't ever, don't ever change it differently. That. Yes. So sweet. The commanders 
have called Emil de Bagin yes. to ask for his help in this mission that might turn the tides on the war in that area. Yes. And he says, I'm not going to because I'm in a relationship now. Yes. Which is interesting because the kids didn't come up. <laughs> well, the, that brings me to an interesting point because I remember you saying, like, think about maybe what your most or least favorite moments in the musical are. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a very specific sticking point that we discussed the actor who played Emil had a really big problem with that. Mm-hmm. He's like, why is it that he is unwilling to help them out because he talks about Nellie and mm-hmm. how he's he's in this relationship that and, and that's everything to him. Yes, and it's then the it's, only thing. Yes. And then flashing forward, as soon as that's not working, mm-hmm. he's like, ah, okay, I'll fine, I'll go. Right. And the actor, uh, Robert Townsend, was saying, what about his kids. Yeah. As a father myself, I have a huge problem with this. It's a, I think, uh, a, a huge flaw in the writing. Huge flaw. Yeah. You know, so how do we talk through this? How do we, you know, make it so that maybe it's just a moment of um, such sadness that he acts on impulse to help mm. Cable? Um, it's the last but, thing that just happened. So it's the one. That's I cool. suppose. But that's the, <laughs> the best we could do that because is. it really, it doesn't make any sense. You're right. Why he would leave his Ooh, children. Big flaw. Are, yeah. Big flaw. So he says no. Bloody Mary has, you know, sung about Bally High yes. and has convinced Cable that this is some place that he'd like to visit. So, so Bally High it is. Yes. Now, the first notes of Bally High are very specifically taken from the pentatonic uh, eastern scale. Yes. Maybe that's what I should say. So, the, yeah, like there's a very different kind of harmonic scale in Eastern music yeah. that Richard Rodgers was really trying that's, to that's encapsulate. Cool. And it honestly becomes the motif for most of the score. In, in so, fact, isn't that how the overture starts? Starts. Yep. Yep. Um, very, very powerful three notes. So he goes to Bally High and meets Bloody Mary's daughter, Liat. Yes. They have some loving times. Yes, they do. Instantly, in fact. Yes. And she also doesn't speak because she doesn't speak English. She can say a few words. Yeah. They try, but yeah, they, they can't. Yeah, they try to communicate, yeah. but they're instead speaking the language of love. And she sees a vulnerability in him, perhaps things he's seen, things he's been through already mm-hmm. as a lieutenant that pulls her into him. Um, that's that's what we worked on. Um, so it's not just like, yeah, it's is, a lot. This, and we, it's another again, another Well, another this maybe this would have happened back mm-hmm. then. Um, it's to Bloody Mary. This is maybe her daughter's way out yeah. of this life, but it's crude. It's kind of shocking. She's mm-hmm. giving her daughter to a man that um, she doesn't know. Correct, but he has all the right checks, all the boxes to get her out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah. On my mission, there were two attempts to get me to marry people on my mission. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. Very serious ones. Wow. There was one woman who was married to another man. My missionary companion and I were teaching an English class, like a free English class. And she came and she gave us both Christmas cards. So we opened the cards and my mission companions, it just said like, Merry Christmas, love so-and-so. And then I opened mine and a whole page like fell out of this, you know, letter. And I was like, uh-oh, what is this? Oh and it, And it was this whole plan about... The next English class that I come to, don't wear glasses, and then that will let me know that you're in, as in love with me as I am with you, and we'll run off together. Did you know this person at all? 
I mean, I had taught her English and we had also like uh, visited their home a couple times to say prayers and stuff. And I was freaked out. I was 19 years old, had, you know, certainly never dated girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I like called my mission president. I'm like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? Like, and he's like, it's okay. It's okay. You're, you know, you guys are very generous and you're in uniform and it, it can be confusing for people. And, and that's kind of where we left it. And so I just made sure to wear my glasses the next day. Wow. The next time. That was your message. Yeah. And I mean, I, ne- I never saw her again. But And isn't that inter- interesting? Because I can't imagine what you just described. Yeah. And That's a world I don't know. And it feels, I mean, it feels almost offensive to like share that experience, but it happened to me. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I certainly don't blame her. I had been to her home. It was not the Does dream. Does that often happen in mm-hmm. the mission? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, and you, you're sometimes in these areas and you represent for better or worse, maybe because Americans are really good at advertising ourselves as the epitome of life. But, you know, people buy it for whatever reason and, and it happens. Wow. So I wonder if on some level that's what is going on with Bloody Mary. You know, They're like she, she's buying into the, this package that Cable uh, exemplifies. And America exemplified. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So uh, now it's Cable's turn to fall madly in love with someone, and he does. Yes. He's in love with Liat, sings another perfect song, Younger Than Springtime. Perfect song. And which— How did these two songs come from the same musical? Seriously. Two of the most beautiful love songs ever. I believe Younger Than Springtime was written for something else. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And they were having a hard time finding a song, and they're like, well, what about this one? We we had played with this melody, da 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 and then they wrote it, and it was perfect. Wow. That's super cool, because yeah. it really fits that moment. Oh, my gosh. Well, I did this show at Tuacon in southern Utah, and they turned Younger Than Springtime into, like, because uh, you can flood the stage at Tuacon. They, yeah. like, turn on this river, and then, like, the water will rush over the stage. It's pretty, it's really impressive because it's outside in the canyon. And so there, when we were in Bally High, there was like a waterfall in the back of these red rocks was like going. And then the waterfall turns on, you know, full blast and the water just drips down and comes ac- and, and covers Liat and Cable. Like, Are you kidding me? Like eternity or what's it called? From here to eternity. Oh, oh covers right. Covers them like from, you know, from here to eternity with the water rushing over them. Oh oh. People lost their minds. Because the show can, I think, withstand a lot of texture, mm-hmm. you know, because there is – it is just about it's people. Lush. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they try to find a place for the river to flow in every show? They sure do. I believe <laughs> – I, be, I believe there was a production of Fiddler on the Roof when Anna Tefka was flooded. <laughs> that makes me happy. That was, that was, so look at every was, show. That was Annie, years ago. Now, could the Hudson River – they're like in, in their Hoovervilles being like, we'd like to thank you for, for flooding. really flooding us. Oh, my gosh. Life is really bad. It just loses some of its luster. And I think they have taken a break from it. Smart. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got to, you know, you, you got to you know, know your moments. Exactly. Like, every day's Take not Christmas. Moments. Thank you. So now. But back to South But back to South Pacific. <laughs> So now we're back to the plantation. There's this huge party that has just happened. Yes. And that is when Nellie learns about the kids. Yes. And that is the deal breaker. And she, in a very awkward moment, is like, oh, my gosh, I, I need to go. I'm so sorry. I'm so late. Da, 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 yep. da. 
and he sings yet another reprise of Some Enchanted Evening Which and the act. end of Act One. Yep. Act Two starts. Now we're now it's Thanksgiving. Is it Thanksgiving? Yeah. It's like a holiday. The Thanksgiving yeah? Follies. Right. Yep. And they're doing this big folly show that the nurses are putting on to, uh, you know, booster morale. Yes. Rogers and Hammerstein and Joshua Logan specifically didn't want any choreography. They, you know, all of their shows at this point had had dream ballets and very specific dance numbers. But they wanted all any and all of the dancing in South Pacific to feel just organic or real. I love that. Yeah. We had choreography for the Thanksgiving Follies, but it was very quote-unquote, bad or simple. You know what I mean? It was something that the nurses would have come up with themselves. It's not like... It's not meant to be impressive. The whole show isn't isn't about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a uh, misconception sometimes when people come see it. They think they're going to come see some big, splashy musical. And Mm -hmm. it's it's the opposite of that. It's not big and splashy at all. Yeah. If there are these moments, it's because they are part of the story. They have created this folly, this moment for that. Everybody is there. Then we kind of go backstage in a way and we see mm-hmm. Cable with Liat and Bloody Mary who are now all over on the on this island. That's right. And Bloody Mary sings Happy Talk, which is a cute little song. But yes. why, why does she? I'm not sure. Now I have to remember. Is, um, is it just more about like, here she is. You remember you love her. Take her to America. Yes. She has an agenda. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, the way I approached it was not a cutesy number about the hands, but more about like how Liette's been taught to do a dance or a, you know, a hand dance. You this know, that is almost kind of ritual. Yes. Like. So she nudges her to do it rather mm. than it being all this, you know, mm. happiness. That's great. It's I like, love that. Unfortunately, Cable can't do it. Mm-mm. Here's another racist in the show. Yeah. He is more evolved about it. I mean, he's, he's, not, tor- he's tortured about it. Yeah. For sure. He says this isn't right. And he's the one who sings. You've got to be carefully taught. Mm-hmm. He's this, looking at it from like a realistic place. What am yes. I going to do when I bring this woman back? But at home the same time, he knows that it's wrong of him mm. to feel this way. Ugh. It just he can't he can't push past it. Yeah. I remember <laughs> this is this is embarrassing to admit, but I remember uh, going on a date with a boy and feeling that way. Feeling that way about I can't push past this to like introduce this to my family or to feeling like I hate how I am not with a girl right now because I would love to be looked at and regarded by society in a certain way. Yeah. 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 Isn't that interesting? Isn't that terrible? Anytime. And it's like how unfair is that to my date? Right. Awful. Well, I think that maybe the evolution of all of us as humans is to come to a place where it's not about perception is just about following truth and following yep. heart and Amen. um yeah but it takes us all a while to get there in different yeah. ways you know like everybody's on we, a journey we're all hitting a strong yeah exactly <laughs> um when you say it's unfair to your date of course but it's also understandable with where you were at at the time what you'd been taught right right about what was proper or right and having to ask yourself bigger questions at a yeah. very young age you know yeah it's tough yeah um, of course, Bloody Mary is horribly upset. Yeah. She throws his uh, his watch, watch, right? Yeah. Good for you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You've done your work. I tried. I tried. <laughs> After that, uh, now Cable and Emile de Beck are both— Loveless. Yeah. And both kind of in a brokenhearted situation but from opposite sides of it. Right. Where he one is the, the one, rejectee and, and one's, one's the, the rejector. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, in this book, 
I found the original scene going into Carefully Taught. Oh. And it was between Nellie and Lieutenant Cable. They do have a brief discussion in the... But is this something that was cut? Mm-hmm. Oh. So Cable's kind of taking out on Nellie his own self-hatred for having rejected Leah. Mm-hmm. And it says, uh, Damn it to hell, Cable shouts to Nellie. Why do you look so damned shocked? What's the difference if her hair is blonde and curly or black and straight? If I want her to be my wife, why can't I have her? You can, Nellie replies. It's just that people, I mean, they say it never works, don't they? They do, Cable answers in disgust, and then everybody does their damnedest to prove it. A hell of a chance Liat and I would have in one of those little gray stone and timber houses on the main line. Mr. and Mrs. Joseph Cable entertained last Tuesday with a housewarming. Nobody came. Wow. <sighs> and then he went into Carefully Taught. And that was cut because they felt it was, it was too much. Too much for the time. Yeah. Maybe, Instead, yeah. It's in- so interesting, right? though. Wow. Instead, it now became between Cable and, and DeBeck. Yeah. Uh, sharing their experience. Then uh, I guess we can kind of fast forward to Emil Debeck singing yet another perfect song. This nearly was mine. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was interesting with, um, if I may, uh, Robert Townsend played Emil um, in our production and, you know, a finer actor there never was. He's just so, so talented in so many ways. And he's just also a glorious singer. To watch an actor just fill a song like that, that is just, it's very simple. There's not a lot going on, just his heart. Mm. Um, and he, it was so compelling, I can't even tell you. I'm, I'm sure you can imagine. I can imagine, yeah. So those moments are just so amazing. Just sit back and go. Good God, the That's talent cool. that I get to work with sometimes. It's That's amazing. So cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, now Cable and DeBeck are on their mission, yep. right? Because they have, Emil DeBeck, after knowing that Nellie's not a thing, has decided to go through with it. Yep. He decides that in the scene, he says, I'm with you now. All right, let's do let's it. Let's go. Now, it's a very intense action sequence. And the way that we as an audience experience it it's is through, through the, the radio. radio. Yep. Now, uh, during the mission, does is it successful? Yes, but however, cable cable dies dies. Ooh, that's rough. Actually, yeah, really hard. You hear the oncoming. You know the the enemy is approaching. Mm-hmm. You hear the shots. It then goes to, you know, that fuzz sound, mm-hmm. and then you hear that he was killed. Ugh. Yeah. Ooh, I'm feeling that right now. Mm-hmm. Thinking about that. Sorry, Joe. I hope uh, he he learned some lessons, but man, yes. he was a tortured guy. Yes, he was. Emil comes back though, yes. alive, and he comes back to the plantation, and Nellie is there with the children. Yes, and there's the reprise of Ditemo. Yes, it should be mentioned that there was there's a beautiful moment on the beach where Nellie talks to Emil, hmm. but he's not there. She oh really? Yeah, I don't remember this. Okay. She just says, "I was so foolish." Um, you know, it's it's like her ask, asking for forgiveness. And I think she sings the 15th reprise of Some Enchanted Evening <laughs> at that point. Um, yeah. But she's saying, like, don't let him go. You mm-hmm. know, never let him go. Um, so she denounces her own way of thinking. And the next scene, you see her with the children. I don't know if we're supposed to believe that this is that she has taken them in, you know, mm-hmm. like I mean, she's she's 
uh, caring for them or will in the future if her, the if Emil never comes back. I don't know. I mean, know. she doesn't know if Emil's she alive doesn't. because, and nobody does really. Nope. So I think She's she did. Anyway. I think she she rushed to them. Yeah. In that moment. So that's pretty cool. And then he he appears. And, and now there's a family. And again, another very quiet moment at the end of the show. Uh, it's all without words that they sit together as a family and all they're doing is eating soup. And just in the front, Emil and Nellie uh, reach across and, and join hands. And that's the end of the whole show. Wow. Yeah. That's special. It, so it ends, it begins and ends quietly. Yeah. You know, but profoundly. Incredibly profound. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's so great. Oh, wow. I so appreciate the the standard and example of people like Oscar Hammerstein and and all the creators of this show. And the work is not done. And I would I, I think that they would agree that too. that we shouldn't just leave it to them to have solved everything because it's so not solved. We need to take it with us and now go forward and make it better and do more. And I think that's all we that's all we can do. Yes. These were the forward thinkers of their time. And their legacy is to hand that forward thinking to us at a different time and mm-hmm. keep it pushing forward. Um, I remember this moment at my, my dinner table at my house when I was in high school. Maybe it wasn't high school. Maybe it was junior high. But they had – it was when Martin Luther King Day became a holiday. Oh. And – there were certain people in my family who didn't understand why, because wow. and and I um, and I don't want to toot my own horn, but I like stood up and said why we needed this holiday, and good for you. And much to the credit of the elders of my family, they said, "Well, that's why the next generation will be better than we are." Yeah, and sometimes that. That takes some humility, right? And to to be like, well, I did the best that I could, <laughs> but it sure isn't good enough. And I hope the next generation will take it even even further. Yes, I think that that's what makes it, it interesting, anyway, to look back at something like South Pacific and to see the protagonist Nellie facing her own demons. Hmm. That's a beautiful thing. And if we keep doing that, keep uh, facing. Our demons. New demons. Yeah. You know what I mean? With with uh, openness, love, acceptance, and an open mind to hear each other. You know, we don't condemn, but we try to understand where people came from and why their minds might be closed or uh, tight mm-hmm. according to what they were taught and how to – how do we open minds mm-hmm. without, without talking hate to each other yeah. and becoming – so uh, polarized that there's no discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's wonderful that you brought that up with your family. <laughs> you were brave it. enough to do it, mm-hmm. but they were brave enough to say, well, that's why your your generation is going to be better than us. Because they very well could have said, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course about. they could. Of course. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's and, kind of makes, gives me hope. You yeah, know? exactly. Those conversations give me hope. And I think one of the real ways that we do it is through art consuming it, creating it, and then having conversations afterward. Yeah. Because anybody who goes to South Pacific and expects escapism without conversation, I think isn't taking advantage of the piece that was created. 
you know. And I think that's why not why we do theater. Yeah. We 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 want to put ourselves in an uncomfortable place so that we learn something and we go. I think some of the best things I see are the things that cause me. A, it's a good discomfort because I mm-hmm. like that. You know, I don't shy away from it. But I think you make a good point. We don't go to feel comfortable. Yeah, so. even if it is the exhilaration of. I, I mean, because escapism can be thrilling. Oh, absolutely. You know, and in in a way that fluff like, can be fun. Yeah, absolutely. We just know when it's not fluffy. That's why it's so funny that I reacted to that costume piece with the it was just going right. for yucks. It was like a vaudeville version of of South Luther Billis's uh, hard hat, My and I was gosh, like, right. not no. No, that's not. That's not what's happening. That's not the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for oh my doing gosh. this. It's I had my such a honor. wonderful time. Me too. Everybody, if you want to request a show that we do here on a musical theater podcast, you can always email me at a musical podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at a musical podcast for more great content. Kirsten, how do we follow what you're up to? I mean, you're always directing stuff. Do you yes. have any projects that you want to talk about um, um, coming up? Well, coming up for me next is Kismet at Musical, oh, Musical Theater, Theater Guild. Guild. Yes. Wonderful. So, yes, come see that. It's May 3rd, oh, right? Oh, exciting. Yeah. yeah. This will be um, out by then. So, Oh, it will? Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, yeah, come see Kismet. Fantastic. Awesome. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. And uh, I'm going to now close singing another reprise of Some Enchanted Evening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.